0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message Good morning! How is everyone today? <laughs> uh, So it was really warm earlier this week, and then the temperature, what has happened? So how many of you are feeling particularly, if I clear my throat into the little mic, I'm sorry, but you can blame Kentucky. All right, my name is Emily Snyder, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. And I'm really happy to be here with you all this morning. Um, I get to preach on one of my favorite stories in possibly the entire Bible today. So I'm a little excited. By that I mean I'm so excited. Uh, so we're, we're in a season of the, the church calendar. Thank you. <laughs> applause. Uh, <clears throat> we're in a season of the church calendar called what? You guys know? We talked about it last week. Easter—it's Easter t- not Advent. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong season. <laughs> uh, Easter tide—it's Easter tide. So this is where we're just celebrating that Easter isn't just a day with dresses and eggs and ham. Uh, Easter is an entire uh, season, time to celebrate the fact that Jesus is. Alive, Uh, And the framework that Adam set for us last week, it's like going from 8-bit to high definition. Now, I have a confession to make. I wasn't allowed to play video games as a child. So when he was saying that last week, I was Googling, what does an 8-bit video game look like? (laughs) And I saw it, and I was like, oh, this checks out. This makes sense. Uh, How many of you have ever been to the eye doctor? And they put the little frameies, and they're like, which one is better? This one, or this one. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, both? Either? What do you want me to say? I don't know. Um, but eventually, you get the one that you're like, oh, yes. Now I can see. OK. Uh, think of if, if you, like me, didn't get to play video games as a child, think of it more like that. I know. Oh. It's my parents. Blame them. Yeah, oh, smart parents. That's what Candy said. Okay. Uh, Okay, here's what I love about our text today, is it is extraordinarily ordinary. Uh, There are people walking, there is friendship, they're talking about current events, um, there's grief mixed in there, which I know all of us have experience with, to some degree or another, Um, and then there's a dinner. How many of you eat dinner? Mostly every day. It's very, very ordinary, but interwoven through the ordinary of this interaction is resurrection, and it's not just uh, one thread that makes up the whole; it is actually the entire picture, even in the very, very ordinary context. Um, so here's our here's our three main points. We're going to talk about friendship and groundwork. Revelation is a meal, and that our hearts keep the score. Let's let's pull it up. Let's get to work. Luke twenty four. We're going to read a lot, thirteen through thirty four. Here we go. That same day, by same day we mean the day Jesus came up out of the grave. Okay, so the women have already seen him. They've run back and told the others. And that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. So Joey would have gotten there. Let's do the math. I don't know. Two minutes. Uh, As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, I love this, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Have you been living under a rock? What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah, who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with amazing reports. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. So some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things, I love this, concerning himself. So by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their, jersey, or their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going to go on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Tricky Jesus. Tricky Jesus. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. So, another seven miles, Joey. Not even a full marathon. Uh, there, there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, Oh, guys. The Lord really has risen. He appeared to uh, to Peter. And then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. This story is awesome. So let's get started. Jesus lays the groundwork. Two things about this. First of all, I want to tell you a story. Uh, When I was in college, I volunteered at a local youth group. And the youth pastor would allow the youth to dare him to do things. And then he would dare them to do things. Now, the things that he dared them to do were like, tell somebody at school about Jesus, you know? Or like, read your Bible every day for one week. And the things that they dared him to do were like, walk to Hodgenville. (laughs) And so one fall break... A group of us walked from Campbellsville to Hometown Pizza in Hodgenville. I did it. Charity, do you remember? The blisters, you guys. The blisters. Uh, there's just something really special about walking with other people. And I mean this literally, but also figuratively. Um, After I had my first baby, I remember how accomplished I would feel just by like getting out the door and walking one block around my neighborhood with Dusty and little baby Isla. Um, I felt so powerful. Um, But I also think about some hard seasons I've gone through in life, and I've had people come along beside me and say, I would like to walk this road with you right? Um, That's that's life in the church, isn't it? Um, Walking with others creates a bond, whether it's the people you walked to Hodgenville with in college, uh, or the people who come alongside you in moments of difficult circumstances. Those bonds are really real, and I think they're very spiritually significant. I think we could all agree on that. Um, I also think it's interesting to note right off the bat that Jesus, the risen Jesus, reveals himself to people in groups, right? The women, plural, at the tomb. Um, the travelers, plural, on the road to Emmaus. And then later in this chapter, the, uh, the 11 remaining disciples. Uh, community, I think we can draw from this, that community is really valued this side, Of resurrection. The second thing I want us to note here is not just friendship and community, but that Jesus took his time. Uh, You'll notice when he starts asking them these questions, like, What things? You know, what are you talking about? These guys are devastated. The scriptures say that sadness was written all over their faces. and they talk about everything in the past tense. Uh, don't I mean that's just a sign that like their hope, it's gone. It's gone. There was this guy. We thought he was the Messiah, but he died, and now we don't know what to do. Essentially, is what they were saying. And I think at this point, Jesus really could have been like, "It's me," you know. Um, I have a two-year-old, and his favorite thing to do right now is to show up in unexpected places in the house and go, (laughs) ta-da. This would have been a great opportunity for a ta-da moment from the Lord. (laughs) Uh, It would have saved people a lot of heartache, but he didn't, did he? He took time to lay the groundwork. And I think what he did instead speaks volumes about the way that uh, he was going to reveal himself, not just in that moment to those men, but to us as Jesus' followers today. Jesus took his time. Uh, And here's what else I believe. I don't think Jesus was mad at these guys for not getting it, even though he says, Oh, you foolish people. I don't think he was mad that they got it wrong. I don't think he was upset that they were having a hard time believing the testimony of the women who had found the empty tomb that morning. I believe Jesus moved toward them with compassion, right? Because that's what he does. Um, And what he did was direct them back to what scriptures said about him and had been saying about him forever, starting with Moses. If you remember the last time I was up here just a few weeks ago, the crowds were around Jesus, and they were asking for a sign, right? They said, here's what Moses did. Show us what you can do. This was the framework or the context of the day. And this is where Jesus met them and began the work of revealing himself. Uh, I think he begins the groundwork of revelation really, really slowly Jesus meets us in similar ways on our journeys today. Um, An instant revelation, the ta-da moment, might be what we think we want. Often would be helpful, right? Um, But Jesus takes his time to lay the groundwork first. All right, next point. Revelation is a meal. Um, Here's the thing. The overall hospitality of these guys... Uh, allowed for this revelation of Jesus' identity to take place. Uh, and I know that it was just part of their culture. I even read in a commentary this week that it was um, really good and right for Jesus to have been like, no, it's okay. I'll, like to pretend like he was getting to on. Like that was part of the culture as well, right? Um, they were all acting like deep within their like appropriate cultural narrative. Um, but I can't, can't help but think, it kind of reminds me of Matthew 25, where he says, you know, here's how we know who the sheep are versus the goats. Um, They gave food to people who were hungry. They gave drink to people who were thirsty, and to the stranger, what did they do? They invited him in. So this tells me there's a world in which they could have not done this, Right, it probably would have been very rude, but there's a world in which they could have not extended that invitation to Jesus. But by doing so, uh, we see that it pays off big time. Uh, can we go? Can we find verse thirty again? I really want us to hone in on on these verses. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it, then he broke it and gave it to them. Uh, and suddenly their eyes were opened. This sounds very reminiscent of uh, when he fed the 5,000, right? He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it. And also of the Last Supper, right? He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it. Um, this first thing I want us to recognize here is that while Jesus may have been a guest in their home, in this moment he was the host of the table, He was the host of the table. And I just think the climax of this story, aside from, you know, them finally realizing who Jesus was, was that they were experiencing the familiarity of being at a table with Jesus. So I can think back to my childhood home, right, and to the dinners that I had around the table with my mom, my dad, and my brother. We all had our own seats. Do you guys all have your own seats? really ruffles feathers when my parents come over to visit nowadays, and they're like, where do you sit? And I'm like, we don't have assigned seats here. They're like, what? Um, But I did at home. I had my own seat, and you better not sit in your dad's seat. either. that was always the kind of deal. Um, In the middle, there was always a little trivet. It had salt, pepper, (laughs) real butter, uh, and Tabasco sauce. Well, uh, and sorghum and sorghum yeah sorghum was, uh, was there too I think if you were to blindfold me okay if we could even do this experiment which is like not like physically possible if you could blindfold me and then sit me down at like different tables and then say which one was your childhood home I would know would you know yeah I think I would know I would know by like the smells I would know by how, like, my chair felt, how the sun was coming in and reflecting. I mean, I just i feel like I would know. Uh, tables have a really familiar feeling, and so do those who host you. And the question I've been sitting with this week is, how have I been hosted by the living Jesus? hmm Uh, Where have I been welcomed, included, and given a chair that has become my spot at the table of the Lord? Uh, Recognizing the presence of the resurrected Jesus can be as ordinary as sitting down for dinner. Again, that's what I love about this whole story is how Ordinary it is. Um, You don't have to journey far and long to see Jesus. He will host the whole meal if you invite him in. Okay, the second thing that I want to point out about this is that uh, recognizing the resurrected Jesus can bring major disruption to your life. Uh, Can you go to the very last slide? I want to show you all this actual... I, I chose the background of this, these slides on purpose. This is called The at Emmaus. <clears throat> it's by a painter called Caravaggio. Looking at this exact painting is what convinced me that art is not actually boring. Okay, So I want us to just look at it. This was the moment... Look, Jesus is blessing the food... <clears throat> And it's like the moment they realize who Jesus is. Look, the guy on the bottom left, he's about to come up out of his chair, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, the guy on the far right, he's already got his arms spread wide in disbelief. Notice the fruit basket. Uh, if you zoom in on it, which we can't do, but if you zoom in on it, you can, cut, you can tell it's hanging and teetering off of the edge of the table. Nothing's about to go flying which is like eating dinner at my house. That's not a joke. I love this painting so much because it shows the exact moment where resurrection brings absolute disruption to your life. Mm. Uh, So here's my question. Do I welcome the disruption of Jesus making himself known. Uh, And here's what I think that means. Because I wrote that this week, then I went back to it, and I was like, Emily, are you just saying this? Or is this like a real thing? Sometimes you have to do that when you're writing a sermon. Is this true? Um, Here's what I think this means. The world is one way, but the kingdom of God is another Uh, And through the resurrection of Jesus, we are no longer beholden to the ways of this world. Because God took his son who was dead and brought him back to life. That is the disruption of resurrection. And that is what the host is inviting us into as well. So, maybe you have a dead place in your life. Maybe you have something that is just not working. Uh, I would, I would say this: welcome disruption. See what happens, and then tell me. I want to hear. All right. Very last thing: our hearts keep the score. Um, there's this fictional detective series that I like to read. Does this surprise anybody? There's this fictional detective series that I like to read. And the main detective, he always starts his investigations. Becca, you know where I'm going. By asking his team, tell me what you know. And that was, that's what was running through my head all week while I was preparing. Tell me what you know. That's exactly what these guys were doing on the road that day. <clears throat> they were deep in conversation about what they knew. Both the facts and also This. Uh, They had been following Jesus, and they knew the scriptures. So I'm sure there was a lot of like speculation going on. They were forming theories. They may have had a hypothesis, but ultimately what they knew was a whole bunch of uncertainty. Total uncertainty. So if we fast forward to dinner that day, when they couldn't believe what had happened before their very eyes at the table the disciples pointed back to how their hearts felt earlier in the day while talking to Jesus right they said didn't our hearts burn as he talked us through the scriptures so physically they'd been with Jesus listening to him traveling with him eating with him but their hearts had also been with him too listening traveling and receiving his instruction. And how many of you know if you do that for a number of years, that will begin to form you in very, very significant ways. So I want to share with you how it has formed me. And I might lose my voice. Good thing there's another sermon after this. (laughs) Second service is going to get the frog. Um, In walking with Jesus now for a number of decades... 28 years? Gosh, math on the fly. It's hard. Um, and in growing with him through that time, in allowing him to lay the groundwork slowly of who he is, and in knowing what the Bible says is true about him. Tell me what you know, right? Um, One way that my heart has been formed is to no longer look at hopeless or confusing or desperate situations and think, well, that's that. That's the final word. It's all done. Um, To be sure, I do have that thought. But it is on the back burner. It is not up uh, on the front left, which is my favorite burner of the cooktop. Uh, here's what's on my favorite burner. Are you ready? The physical reality of a situation may seem hopeless uh, or confusing or disappointing, but my heart knows that Jesus makes a way where there is no way, and I know it because I've lived it. Jesus finds us not in the thunderstorm and in the loudness, but in the cracks and the gaps in between, right? That is him making a way where there is no way. And the ultimate way he did that was by dying and then rising and then revealing himself as the one they thought he was all along, except totally different and how they thought he was all along. And here's what I want to say. Our hearts can know things that our eyes cannot. Yeah. Uh, I was reading this week this little book by Frederick Buechner. It's called Telling the Truth. The gospel as tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. And in it, he talks about his approach to preaching. And ultimately, he says that I... As the person up here today should connect with the congregation, um, with your hopes and your fears, because those things are very true and real in our life. So I'm going to tell you what the hopes and the fears are that this passage brings up in me. And as I was reflecting this week, I realized the they are basically the same side of two coins, or the you know that expression, <laughs> one side no. One coin, two sides. Thank you. Edit. (laughs) Edit. All right, good, because this is about to get sad. All right, one, my hope is that I recognize God as he comes to me. My fear is that I don't. Can anybody relate to this? Um, I hope I will always have people to walk with, even if it's to somewhere stupid like Hodgenville. Hodgenville's not stupid, but the act of walking there. <sighs> Again, edit, edit. <laughs> My fear is that I won't always have that. I feel like there's a lot of people in this room who... Maybe that resonates with a lot maybe you've walked with people for many 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 years and now you're not um, and I don't I don't have good wisdom for you but I do know this it's really hard but I feel like Jesus will redeem that journey um, sometimes I fear that I too will become disappointed with Jesus Ooh. Uh, my hope is that I will keep remembering the ways he has revealed himself to me over the years. I've never been disappointed after Jesus has revealed himself to me. Have you? No. I hope I welcome the disruption of resurrection. I hope I'm okay with the fruit bowl flying. I fear that it is too messy and difficult. And then I will opt for the relative safety of my little corner of the world. You guys understand, Campbellsville is just like this sweet little, cute little corner of the world, right? It's easy to opt for safety. It is. So the story brings about a lot of emotions for me, if you can't tell. I'm sure it does for you. We know it did for those guys. And some of those can be fear or uncertainty or confusion, but here's the thing. Ultimately, the story is about the fulfillment of hope, right? And it is about the disruption that comes along when Jesus turns out to be exactly who he says he is. And uh, I just want to say this, too as much as we may read the bible and pray and come to church or if you were like me going to vacation bible school as a kid and then as a you know young adult majoring in theology okay so like the whole spectrum of like the churchy things okay as much as we may immerse ourselves and participate in that it's okay to be shocked when jesus ends up being exactly who he says he is it's actually not a demerit at all i have approached it before as Ugh, i should have known not a demerit at all. But I would like to encourage us to follow up that shock uh, the way these guys did and the way that Adam encouraged us last week. Go and tell someone else about it. Tell your story. We need your story in the church. Maybe not if you're still bleeding, okay? Uh, But I know everybody sitting in these chairs has a story. And I think Eastertide is the season for us to do that. Tell your story of the resurrected Jesus intersecting your life. That's my challenge to you today. Okay, uh, worship team, you can come on up. <clears throat> And while they do, I just want to say this. Um, I got this, this impression really strongly this morning that there may be um, some people in the room who uh, have been given kind of like a final word about something. And what I mean by that is maybe a family member or a doctor or your boss has said, this is the way it is. And I want to say right now that Jesus says, no, I am the way it is. So if that is you today, we can go ahead and stand up. Um, If that is you today, we would love to pray for you after the service there. Stand, stand, come now. (laughs) Guys, we do this every week. Come on. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, If that is you, if you have been given something that feels like a final word about something um, and you just, there's something in your heart that says, I can't accept this. I can't live my life like this is the way it's going to be, and yet this is what the world says it's going to be. Uh, That is exactly ripe and fertile ground for some major resurrection disruption. And that's what we want. So, Jesus, we welcome that today. We actually welcome that. Send the fruit bowl flying. It's fine. (laughs) We welcome you, and thank you for your life that is still ongoing and thank you for hosting us uh, at your table and for giving us a place and we love you and we pray this in your name Amen. amen thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the vineyard church in campbellsville kentucky if you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the vineyard you can follow us on social media until next time